rest of you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 2. You know, I, I warned you uh, when we started in Romans 1 a while back that there's a lot of doctrine in Romans. Today you're going to really get deep in some doctrine. I hope you're ready for that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, God's favorites and we'll discover that he doesn't have any. But what we will discover is that God is impartial in the way that he judges people. And we'll discover that in Romans chapter 2 today. The gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a way that God was able to condemn sin and destroy it without destroying us. The gospel is a way that God could condemn sin and destroy sin without destroying you and me. When someone receives that great message, that gospel message, uh, we use the word and term that they were saved. Now, some people today uh, don't necessarily like using that term, or let me rephrase, they don't like hearing that you and I are saved, uh, because some people are, or they feel they're good enough, they don't need to be saved. So if it's true that a man does not need to be saved, it's also true that a man uh, that Jesus has nothing to say to that man. If it's true that a man does not need to be saved, Jesus has nothing to say to that man. Why? Because Jesus came to save people. We read that in Luke chapter 19 on the screen. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you've got to know you need saving before you can be saved. Somebody says they don't need to be saved, they don't realize that they're lost. They don't realize that they're separated from God. Here's another way of looking at it, a little poem. It says, your best resolutions must wholly be waived. Your highest ambitions be crossed. You need never think you are going to be saved until you have learned you are lost. Amen? So people need to know that they're lost. That is what Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 do for us. They show us what we are before God. They show us where we are before God. They don't only show us where we are, they show us why we are where we are, all right, before God. And God began that with us in our church here back in Romans 1, and today we just continue that same thought about revealing where we are and why we are where we are. The first, uh, Romans chapter 1, dealt with the problem of men in this way, men suppress the truth. Okay, They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Men know about God because of what he's made, right? We discovered that. God cannot be hidden. He has revealed his character, his nature, his attributes have all been shown to men. Clearly, it says, clearly seen in what has been made. So Romans 1 tells us the men suppress truth. Romans 2 goes into the next step, men's ego, all right? Our pride. Our arrogance, our, our, our no need of being saved, so to think, uh, or so to uh, say. That's what God is going to show us today. Now, there are people uh, that you and I consider to be a little bit lower than us on the ethical scale. And God bless them for that. That's how we feel sometimes. You say, I don't feel like that, Brother Clay. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you feel like that. Have you ever been pulled over in a traffic stop and the first thing that pops into your mind is, why didn't he pull that car over that passed me? We always are ready to point the finger at somebody else. 
I got pulled over in Goldsby one time because a Jeep was climbing up on the trunk of my car. And I was worried and I kept looking in my rearview mirror while I went by the 45 mile an hour sign, not seeing it. And I got up here by Markham's Nursery and a highway patrolman whips out and pulls me over. And the Jeep goes by and I can see the guy laughing. <laughs> Is it going to do me any good to complain to the cop that that's the reason I was speeding? Not a bit. I didn't even try it. But you understand what I'm saying? We all think we're a little bit higher than other people on the scale and bless them for being so. And that's how we sometimes look at life. And so today, God wants to deal with that issue with you. He wants to show you that you are not any higher, any lower than anybody else, that God looks at all men the same, that God deals uh, with this way with us. So let's stand together. One more time we're going to stand and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2 in the book of Romans. Here we go. Verse 1 says, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfish, ambitious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word today and teach us from it uh, this deep truth about how you see men and how we see ourselves. And I pray today, Father, you accomplish your purpose in this building, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question. All of you, think about the mental picture that you have in your mind about who you are right now. Not in this church building, but the way that you live. Think about the person that you are in your mind. All right? You've got that picture. Now I want you to Look across the auditorium somewhere or the uh, sanctuary and look at somebody and think, I wonder if they had the same picture of me that I have of myself. Look at the people that you work with. Do they have the same picture of you that you have of yourself? I would venture to say no. I would venture to say that we all have a different opinion of you than you think that you are. And you have a different opinion of me than you think that I am. So let me ask you this. Which one is right? Which view is correct? I would venture to say neither one. Why? Because we cannot 
see ourselves as we truly are. At least we don't take time to do that. And certainly other people can't see me as I truly am because I'm not always the same around other people. So who has the correct opinion? God has the correct opinion. God sees me for who I really am. God and God alone sees me for who I am. God is a realist. God does not cloud the issue. God does not cover things up. God sees you and me for who we really, really are. Wow, that's, that's a hard thought to think that God could see that far within me, that far within you to, to know who we really are. But that's the way that it is. God sees us as we truly are. Now, God tells us how we truly are in the Bible, right? James calls it a mirror. And so we look at the scriptures and we oftentimes don't like what we read about ourselves because it's true. And we sometimes we put the Bible aside because we don't want to look at ourselves in the mirror. We don't want to see who we really are. We want to continue to go on like the person that we've become. And so we find that when we read the Bible, we find that the image of God that we were all created in has been twisted. It's been distorted in us, hasn't it? If you're being honest with yourself, you would say, yes, I've distorted the image of God. I hurt people that I love. I've distorted the image that God placed in me long, long ago. And so something needs to happen. So I don't really want to know who I am, but I do want to know who I am. And that's where we find the book of Romans, chapter 1, 2, and 3. God shows us who we really are. And then God says, I'm going to deal with that with you. I'm going to, I'm going to judge you according to who you really are. Now it's getting even more scary, right? I would rather be judged according to something else, another standard, than I would be to be judged about the person that I really am. Now, God has the Bible given to us so that we can discover who we are, so we can correct that or have that corrected. God doesn't force you to read this Bible, does He? He doesn't make you read the Bible. He, he lays it out in front of you, available to you, so that you can learn about yourself and you can learn about him and you can discover who you are. God, in fact, is very patient with us and he is very forbearing with us. It says that in, in chapter four. And so we find that the patience of God is what leads us to him because here's why circumstances are going to come about in your life where you come to a place and you have to admit that you haven't been fooling him one bit. You finally admit to him, you've, you've fooled everybody else in your life. You've even fooled yourself. But you have to come to a place where you finally admit you haven't fooled him at all. And that's what God is trying to do by giving us the scripture. He wants you to know that eventually you will discover that. So how does God look at me? How does God judge honestly me and the persons that's lower than me? God bless their soul for that. <laughs> How does God judge us equally? How does God judge men equally on an economic scale? How does God judge equally on a social scale 
or a cultural scale? How does, jo- how does God judge those who are prosperous and those who are poor? How does He judge them equally? How does God judge the privileged and the outcast? Have you ever thought about that? There's so many different levels of men, at least in our eyes. How does God judge someone like that? Well, we're going to discover God judges by truth. Look in verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, God gives them eternal life. Verse 8, but to those who are selfish, ambitious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, God gives them wrath and indignation. So we have the difference about how God judges in truth. Now, most people want to think that God judges on a scale where my good and my bad are placed on a measuring device and my good outweighs my bad, I get to go to heaven. But if my bad outweighs my good, then I go to hell. And you know, most men think that way. Most people feel that way. You might even be feeling that way today. But I want you to know something. That's not the criteria that God judges people on their good and their bad. God judges them on truth. Look in verse 8. God judges a person who does not obey the truth. Okay, you see that? So, let me ask you a question. Why do men do good? Why do men, the Bible says there's none of us that are good, Romans chapter 3, but why do men do good? Why are there men that do good things? They obey truth. Why do men do evil things? They disobey truth. Now, you might be thinking that truth is the Ten Commandments. That's not necessarily the case. You might be thinking that the truth is the gospel message or the truth is Jesus Christ. We as Christians know him to be truth. and We know that. But what about a man who's never heard about Jesus? How does God judge that man? How does God judge a man who's never been presented the gospel message in his life? How does God judge that person? You see, we're going to get into some meat here. Stay with me. I may not explain it the best, but I'm going to try. All right? I'm going to try. God judges us by truth. Now, is there truth that is not presented to people? Yes. God said, I'm evident by the things I've made. So no man anywhere can deny the existence of God. And the truth of God. But men suppress that truth, right? That's the first problem we had, suppressing the truth. The second problem we're discovering today is our arrogance against that truth. So God judges men based upon the truth that they know. You got me? How does God judge a man who has never heard the gospel message. He judges him based upon the truth that he knows. All right? Stay with me now. I know that might be something new for you to grab a hold of, but I'm not trying to to twist you up. I'm trying to help us understand what Paul has written here. So, men are judged 
upon what they believe because we live what we believe. If I obey the truth and I'm looking to do good and seeking glory and honor, God gives eternal life. What's eternal life? Jesus Christ is eternal life. God gives that. But if I do not seek good but seek to do wrong and disobey truth, truth that I know, then God gives wrath and indignation. So is there truth short of knowing Jesus Christ? Yes, there is. It's the truth that God has given to men all over this world without the gospel message, without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, you and I think that's the only way that we go to heaven. It is. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt, and we go to heaven through Jesus Christ. But God will judge men based upon the truth that they know. And so what happens to a man? If God based uh, his judgment on truth, let's move to the second point that I have today. God judges according to our deeds. Look in verse 7. To those, um, I'm sorry, verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. What man? What men? What men? Every man. Every man. Not just the believers. Not just the unbelievers. Every man will be judged according to his deeds. And a man does what he believes. Right? And so, hang with me again. So, to say that, God saves men. Who does he save? He saves those in verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. Let me give you a biblical example. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He is a devout man. He is a centurion. He is a Roman. And yet there's something stirring in him. He prays to God. He longs to know truth. What's he doing? He's a good man who is seeking, as it says in verse 7, for glory and honor and immortality. What does God do to a man who seeks that? God sent him Peter. Amen? Someone who is seeking for truth, who is seeking to do good, who is persevering and being a good person, are the Christians the only good people in the world? No. There's plenty of good people in this world that aren't Christians. And so we can't say that it's just the Christians that do good. There are people who do good deeds all over this world, but they're not Christian. But if they're seeking glory and honor and immortality... God gives them eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus Christ. Cornelius was seeking that. God sent him Peter. Peter gave the gospel to Cornelius. Cornelius believed it, and Cornelius was saved. Now, let's do another example. The Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, he, he's out walking down the road, and an Ethiopian eunuch pulls up, and he says, Hey, I need somebody to help me understand what I'm reading here. This is Isaiah. Philip jumps in the wagon. He explains the gospel to the man. The guy says, there's some water. Can I get baptized? Philip says, yeah, let's do it. And he gets baptized. And then the next scene, Philip's gone. What was that man doing? He was a good man who was seeking glory and honor and immortality in the fact that he was reading Scripture and looking for truth in God. 
What did God do? He sent him Philip. You see how that works? If, if a man anywhere in the world is seeking after God, it will happen. What about the Philippian jailer? Right? He jailed Paul and Silas, got them in stocks, and they start singing. The earthquake comes, it breaks apart, and everybody's going to run. The Philippian jailer's going to kill himself because his prisoners escaped. Paul said, don't hurt yourself, we're still in here. The man comes in, he says, what do I need to do to be saved? A good man... Seeking truth and glory and honor, immortality, God sends him Paul. And Paul witnesses to the man and he is saved. Do you understand that? Now, for somebody who is a good man but does not seek truth or glory or honor or immortality, who might that be in a biblical example? The young rich ruler came to Jesus seeking how to be Saved, how to have eternal life. Jesus explained it to him. What did he do? He turned and walked away. Didn't want to give up what he had. He wasn't going to seek honor and glory and immortality. He was going to seek to disobey truth. The truth that he knew. The truth that had been revealed to him. The truth that he was aware of at that moment. God judges man according to truth. God judges man according to their deeds. Men do deeds according to what they believe. All right? The third point I want to make to you is this. God judges without partiality. It says that in verse 11. It's plain as day, simple as it can be, that God would judge us without being partial to us. Now, it might be hard to believe that because we see, in our mind, people that are different, people that don't deserve, people that do deserve, so forth and so on. But I want you to know this. God is unmoved with our gifts. God is unmoved with our position in society. God is unmoved with the contacts that we have in the upper echelon of humanity. God is unmoved by our breeding or our ancestry. God doesn't care if you were on the Mayflower coming from England or you were one of those guys who met them when they got on our shores. God doesn't care about who you are, where you are, what you are. God is not partial to those that He would save. When we think about that for a minute, when we uh, see God, we understand that all sin is equal in God's eyes. There's, in our mind, there's notorious sins, and then there's respectable sins. Cheating on my taxes, that's a respectable sin. Killing a, a baby, that's a notorious sin. But God says it's sin. So God doesn't judge Accordingly, in that way that you and I might judge someone. In fact, let's talk about respectable. All right? We all feel like we're respectable people. In Luke, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord writes a letter and he sends it to the Laodicea church and he says that you are neither hot nor cold. And because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, the word lukewarm, when you start breaking that down in the Greek, it means respectable. Did you get that? We go to church. We we do good things. We're respectable people. And God says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you feel like you're respectable and therefore you are on another plane. It doesn't matter to God whether we commit respectable sins or notorious sins. God is not impressed 
with either. And he told that church, he said, you say you're rich and you are in need of nothing. But he said, you don't realize that you are poor, blind, naked. Amen. We need to understand that just because we feel respectable about ourselves, biblically, that's lukewarm. And Jesus said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God's not partial. God doesn't play games with people. He judges in truth. He judges by deeds. He judges by without being partial. The fourth thing I want you to see is that God judges according to opportunity. Now, here's some more meat that I promised him we're going to get to it. Look in verse 12. We haven't read that yet. Hang with me. Look at it. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. You got that? How does God judge someone who's never heard the gospel? Who's never heard of the Ten Commandments? He told you right there. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. But all who have sinned under the law will be judged by that law. You and I have heard the law. We've heard the gospel. We've heard the presentation. We, we've been able to receive that. We, we've had that presented to us in the past. You know, the most frequent charge against God today in society is this. How does God judge people who have not heard of the gospel message of Jesus Christ? How does God do that? Verse 12 gives us a little indication of how. You don't have the law of God, you still perish. All right? Because you have not obeyed the truth. What truth? The truth that you know. God judges on according to opportunities. Never does God condemn us on the idea that we don't have the law. God will judge, people will perish without the law. But understand, hear me church, understand this, that God never condemns on that basis. They disobey the truth that they have for that moment. You say, well, people don't know about God. Yes, they do. Romans 1 shows us that. All men know about God. But they suppress that. They suppress that truth. Therefore, they suppress it in unrighteous living. They'll be judged for that. Now, a man who doesn't know God, but he seeks for immorality, glory, and honor because he knows there is a God God will save that man. God will send the gospel to that man. God will take care of that man. Why do you think there are thousands upon thousands of missionaries in the world today? Because they're being sent to people that are seeking glory and honor and immortality because they believe in a holy God that exists. Now, God will not judge you because you did not hear the gospel. That would be unfair, wouldn't it? That God would condemn someone that had never heard the gospel. But what God does is He judges them because they either obeyed or disobeyed the truth that they knew. What does He say? Verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearer of the law are judged, are just, I'm sorry, before God, but the doers of the law will be justified 
Now he takes it to the next step. Verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn a man who's never heard the gospel. God uses that man's own yardstick to measure him by. Okay? That man is looking for glory and honor and immortality and finding this God he believes is there. God will get the message to that man. Spiritually, sending a missionary in mail, however it works out, God will do that. That's who God is. He doesn't condemn people who haven't heard the message. He condemns people who haven't lived up to the truth that they know. Amen? So a man goes out and he violates the truth that he knows. He stands condemned before God. A man goes out without hearing the gospel, but he lives for good and he does good by the truth that he knows. God will deal justly with that man. You understand? We used to often think, how, how about the poor people in Africa that never heard the gospel? Today you got the answer. If that man lives towards the truth that he knows, God will get him that message of salvation. If that man denies that truth that he knows and suppresses it in unrighteous living, then he stands condemned before God. He's measured by his own yardstick, so to speak. So, even pagans have law in their heart. Verse 14 tells us that. How does a Gentile who doesn't have the law, but yet he does things that are instinctively in the law, God says it's because the law is written in his heart. He knows right and wrong. He knows good and evil. He knows what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And if a man lives good, seeking glory, honor, and immortality, God gives him eternal life. God said that right here in Romans chapter 2. Now, you might... Uh, think that God, uh, a man can be judged for something he's never heard. But on the basis of that, we know that that's not the case today. So we understand also that God uh, judges according to his word. On judgment day, what's it going to look like? Well, on judgment day, it'll look something like this. Jesus Christ is going to be the judge. And he'll be sitting on the bench. Amen. And he'll have the gavel. And the prosecutor will be the gospel. And the gospel will prosecute people, but men will be charged with what? What will be the charge against people? The secrets that are in your heart. That's what it said there, right, in verse uh, 16, wasn't it? On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You know, Samuel Johnson said this. Every man knows thoughts of himself that he would not tell his closest friend. 
Everyone knows thoughts of himself that he would not tell his closest friend. God judges on truth. God judges according to deeds. God's judgment is not partial. God's judgment is according to opportunity of truth that each man has. God judges the secrets of our heart on that day. Wow, you better get those out in the open, brother. You know why? Because God's going to judge you on them. You will stand before him, and he said what's, uh, what's hidden will be shouted from the rooftop. Amen? What's in the darkness will be, will be revealed in the light. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. It's not those who are coming to you, not, not these thoughts of, uh, that uh, I wouldn't tell my friend uh, that I can't stop coming in my mind. You know, there's some thoughts that come to our mind that we can't stop. It's because Satan is tempting us. That's not the thought that we need to take care of. The thought that we need to take care of is the one that I welcome. And I open my door and I say, come in, sit in my living room. Let me get you something to drink. Be comfortable. Mikasa sukasa, right? Those are the thoughts that we need to take care of. And that's what God is saying. We all do those. We all have those thoughts, and we all take those thoughts too far, and we all let those thoughts dwell too long, and pretty soon they end up living with us. Those are the thoughts that God's going to judge us on. Nobody knows those thoughts but you and Him, right? And so let me ask you this. We go back to the ark. I, I had the scriptures read this morning uh, referring to the ark, Noah's ark. And, and the reason I did that is because I wanted to talk about Noah at the end of the message. Noah, the Bible says, was a righteous man. Now, Noah was not a righteous man, and then he met God. Noah met God, and he became a righteous man. What was different about Noah and everybody else in his life? Noah let God in. Everybody else held God out. Everybody else suppressed truth. Were, were, were the Ten Commandments in Noah's day? Do we have the law? No, we didn't, did we? We didn't have the law. We didn't have the Ten Commandments. We didn't have Moses telling everybody how to do it through God's word. Noah lived before that. So what happened to Noah? Noah looked in the heavens and he said, there has to be a creator. There has to be a God. And you know what? God said, ah, ding, now I can go to this guy. And Noah let God in and Noah became righteous because of that. And then God said to Noah, I want you to build an ark for the saving of your family. And he revealed Noah uh, some things that had never been seen before. And so Noah began to build this ark. Now, if you think about it, who built the ark really? God built it. Noah was the laborer. God designed it. God laid it out. Every day that they walked and talked together, God said, I want you to put the window here. I want you to put a door over here. You need some more pitch in this spot on the boat. You need to adjust that rudder a little bit in the back. God just instructed Noah those 120 years that he was building that ark. God really built it, but Noah was the laborer. God designed it. 
and it had a purpose. And the scripture that was read said when God got Noah and his family in and he got all the animals in, the Bible says God shut the door. Now I want you to think about that. Was God warning all of the people at the time of Noah? You better believe he was. Noah was a preacher. Amen. He, he was a proclaimer. And he kept telling them what's, what's happening, what's going to happen. And you know, today in society, all of the people, even you and I, are like the people that were living in the day of Noah. They heard about a calamity coming, but they didn't do anything about it. And today we have a calamity coming, but most men are doing nothing about it, and that calamity is death. Death is coming for every man. And God gives us His Word as a warning. He doesn't give it to us to make us feel bad. All right? He doesn't give it to us to hound us and, and put us down in our place and, and make us uncomfortable. He gives it to us to tell us there's something coming and you need to get ready for it. And so believers in God, we start building our ark. I started building mine 34 years ago. All right? It was the day I met Jesus. I drove the first nail in my boat. Right? And, and I've been building that ark ever since for the salvation of my family. And some of you guys, you picked up that hammer however long ago it was, but you've thrown it down again. And now you're doing something else because the warning has fallen on deaf ears. Something's coming. Calamity is on the horizon. Death is waiting for you. You need to pick that hammer back up. You need to start rebuilding that ark. Some of you have never hit a nail yet on your ark. You've dismissed the warning. You, you, you just pushed it aside. You suppressed the truth that you know, and you're living unrighteously. You're living ungodly in that way. Now, God gave us this word to, to, to show us and warn us to give us hope. Hope to the hopeless. There is a way to get to heaven. There is a way to become righteous in the eyes of God. It's not something that we do. It's not something that I acquire. It's something that I, I, I it is something I acquire from Jesus Christ. It's not something that I do on my own. I simply must surrender myself to God and his plan for my salvation. And he puts his righteousness on me. And he puts his righteousness on you and everyone who believes God will do that. But today I want you to see something. That God judges men equally. And God is fair in his judgment. And if someone is seeking for immortality and, and truth and goodness, God will get them the message just like he's going to give it to you today. I pray that you pick that up. I pray you pick that hammer up. I pray you get that nail in your hand and you start building your ark to save your family. Don't suppress it. Don't put it aside. Let it be true and real. God is giving us that warning today. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you to bless your word in our hearts and lives. Father, and I pray that you show us the truth even now as we await uh, this moment of song, of invitation. Father, that you let your spirit rule in this place and move in the hearts of men and women in this building. And realize 
that something's coming for us. And you provided a way that we can escape that and that we can live eternally with you by seeking good and glory and honor and immortality. I pray, Father, you dispense that in this place today. And I ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen.